Hey, so welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. And today we have Sarah Madsen with us. Sarah, if you'd like to say hello and perhaps introduce yourself by way of explaining perhaps what the work that you do and then some of the projects that you've been on. Sure. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Sarah Madsen. I am an author and a freelance game writer and designer. Um, I have done work for, gosh, I've worked, done stuff for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I'm in their Candlekeep Mysteries anthology. Uh, I do work for Cobalt Press. I've written a bit for MCDM on their upcoming Flea Mortals project. Um, I've done work for Cubicle 7. Um, uh, what else? Oh, gosh, lots of stuff. And most recently, I've been working with Draco Studios um, on their Dragon Bond setting. Um, I also write fiction. I have a novel called Weaver's Folly out. It's a cyberpunky urban fantasy, sort of if um, Shadowrun collided with Kim Harrison's Hollows series for anybody who likes urban fantasy. Uh, yeah, that's me. Super cool. Let's immediately pivot to talking about Draco Studios because you were kind enough to uh, bring me by. And when you went to go talk to them, because you've been working with them for uh, quite a while, if you want to, how did you get on that project? And uh, I think through our mutual friend Lou, but I guess you'll talk about that. And then um, what's it been like to working with uh, Draco Studios? Uh, it's been great, actually. Yeah, I think I joined up with them. I think it was m March. Um, and they actually, they were looking, they have this amazing setting called Dragon Bond um, that they do. So Draco Studios does a lot of things. They don't just do tabletop RPGs. They do minis and they do like party games and they have a whole pretty wide selection of stuff that they do. Um, and they have a world uh, called Dragon Bond that they were looking to expand into the 5e tabletop RPG um, realm. And so they were trying to find people to bring on. And yeah, um, excuse me. Um, I think it was Lou. Yeah, Lou Anders. Um, actually, they reached out to him and he was busy doing other things. And so he directed them to me, actually to me and Brian Suskind to see if either of us want, were willing to take on the project. And we were both very interested. Um, so they sort of brought us both on to help lead their design in the, their 5e system. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been fantastic. Brian's a lot of fun to work with and we've had a lot of work. I mean, it's, they have an amazing amount of just lore and just stuff <laughs> in general, honestly. So it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, and actually they just launched their Kickstarter for, it says it says guide to dragon bonding which is sort of a dragon focused book um that's sort of an introduction to the world of valerna and dragon bond and it's um you know it talks a bit about the dragon bonding process which is where uh a mortal and a dragon sort of form this mystical connection that bonds their life force and their like makes you more powerful and you form this sort of emotional and uh psychic and, well not psychic exactly but it's kind of hard for me to explain but it's you know it's a bond it's this this mystical bond um 
And so it talks about that. And then there's things to do with the dragon broods themselves because the the dragons in the Valerna setting are a little different than your standard D&D dragons. Um, and we're going to have new magic and new classes and subclasses and races um, and, you know, rules for dragon, flying dragon fights and all sorts of crazy, awesome stuff. So it's been, it's been a lot, <laughs> but it's been good. <laughs> so Super cool. Yeah, I see that as of the time of this recording, which by the time this comes out next week, it'll be even further in, uh, but it's already five times funded. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I believe, initial goal, like maybe 20,000, but it's at 100,000 right now. And there's still uh, quite a few different stretch goals available, a lot of which are look really cool, um, especially the uh, alchemy uh, cooperation or the collaboration, I should say, of Theater of the Mind play and things like that and how that whole VTT system is set up. The world, from what I've seen, is incredibly colorful and interesting from a visual standpoint. So I am very interested in asking you what it was like kind of being on the ground floor for at least releasing this for, for 5e, for D&D, and sort of transporting that. And if you had any particular challenges to sort of meld this into a D&D world, or like how does this differ from other D&D worlds that you've written in, in the past? So... I think the biggest challenge, but I think also what I've found to be really fun and rewarding on this project was it is a setting that exists, but not everything has been nailed down yet. And especially when it comes to, okay, how does this concept here that's really cool in this lore or this fiction, how does that work mechanically, right? So a lot of the challenge that Brian and I have had has been sitting down with the the our, our, our IP guy and the creators of like the setting itself and really having a conversation about like, tell me about this thing. Okay. This race right here. What, what, what do they do? Like I've seen what we have written down, but there's so much more at the edges that we sort of need to define. Um, so figuring out how those things look on paper and how they are, not only defined enough for somebody to play them, either a PC playing a race or a, a DM who's portraying this NPC or this monster and wants to do so in a way that's interesting and evocative, right? But also making sure, again, that our mechanics are not, it's not just, all right, well, there's an elf, so it's just, it's an elf, right? It's like a carbon copy of every other elf. So if I'm making this sub race for the silver elves in Dragon Bond, I want them, I want somebody to look at that and go, oh, I really want to play that, right? So it's it's our job to take this really cool concept, but also make it so that the mechanics and the crunchy bits reflect that really interesting concept and is evocative and makes you immediately think of like five different character concepts that you could put together with this thing. So um, that's definitely been the most challenging part, but it's been it's been a lot of a lot of fun to sort of explore a space that is not wholly mine, but is not clearly defined already. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Kickstarter itself and like the amount of detail just in the page, because I've seen the, the quick start guide and uh, I believe that was for a di a, an earlier release. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I've seen, I believe, your adventure. Am I? Yes. Okay. So, and I've seen your adventure. Right. So, yeah, Brian and I, we, so, okay. Okay. So, for this Kickstarter, we have the main book, which is the Eats' Guide to Dragon Bonding. But there's also the first stretch goal, actually, um, is a level one to four adventure. And we have some other really great writers. Um, it's Brian and I on that, but we also have Jeff Lee. Uh, Sadie Lowry and Ann Gregerson all came on to work with us on that. But Brian and I wrote the first chapter of it, for lack of a better word, that we released at Gen Con sort of as a little freebie uh, glimpse into what we were doing. Um, and yeah, so Dragon Bond, the 5e, has actually gone through several iterations before it's finally gone to print. So I think they had a different designer on board before, but they wanted to bring somebody... Uh, a little bit more into like involved in the industry to sort of really make it shine. So there may have been like other rules floating around previous to Brian and I coming online, but um, we really got in there and anything that already existed, we like overhauled heavily. Um, there was a lot of good stuff, but a lot of stuff that also needed, you know, adjusting or pumping up or balancing or completely, there's some stuff needed to be rewritten from scratch. Um, just to sort of bring it in line to what we were really envisioning along with the rest of the Draco team. So. Right. Um, for that starter adventure, is that something that people can get right now? I believe so. In fact, I think on the Kickstarter page, there might be a link to it. Okay. Yeah. I, we when scroll. we find the link, we'll include it in the description. So you don't need to go yes. looking right now. So uh, yeah, well, well, I there's a link somewhere. <laughs> It'll be in the thing. We'll, we'll put it in the we'll, we'll put, put it in, in the show notes. Yeah, don't um, worry about that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned colorful visually because the art for this whole thing is just amazing. Like I'm always just flabbergasted by visual artists because I'm not a visual artist at all, <laughs> and so you know, I'm always just amazed at what fantasy artists can do and we've got some really amazing art in fact i think one of the stretch goals it's either a stretch goal or included in the thing but it's there's an art book there's art prints um there's some sketches that are done up in the style of like a naturalist journal if you're like in the field like sketching dragons and you know making notes and they're all very like just beautiful so wonderful and um um, let's pivot to talking about you for a moment because I am very curious based on your actions you're working on the vineyard um, how your workflow is because um, I haven't at least yet worked with uh, a, well besides Lou but Lou hasn't written anything for me or my project so um, I haven't worked with anyone who novels and can just very easy to like come out or do you need to hit? So like what will give you that novel as a writer and like you're you're almost doing everything uh freelance right now, right? That's like your that's your income. Okay. Let's talk yes, about that. I am I am one hundred percent freelance. Like? Oh gosh, uh I get up, I make myself some coffee. <laughs> I sit at my desk. Um, so 
Right. So for me, it, it really varies on the day and the projects that I have to work on. But which um, is really just sitting down and opening up whatever I got going on and just now, this is not to say that I'm I am banging out like five hundred or five thousand words a day, right? Like I am. Some days are harder than others, and some projects progress easier than others. Things that typically for me, things that are mechanically heavy, typically take me a little bit longer to figure out. Simply because there's a lot of okay, what exists already? What do I like? Is there something out there that already does this thing that I want to do? Am I duplicating something that exists? Is it worse? Is it better? Um, so there's a lot more like research. Um, or if it's like, yeah, it just, some things require more research. <laughs> Definitely right. mechanics heavy things, but I've had other projects too, where there's just, there's a lot of, hang on, let me double check or triple check this other thing over here. And that sort of slows down the word flow. Um, so I don't have a specific number of words that I try to hit per day. Um, really, it just varies. I just try to hit my deadlines. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that looks like a lot of scrambling at the last minute. Um, I, I do my best not to, not to have to stay up super late, you know, the week before a deadline, but, um, I think I've, I think I've pinned down a, a pretty good workflow situation. Uh, but I typically work between like nine in the morning and then normally like four or four thirty I end. But there's some days that I'll sit in front of my computer for like five hours and nothing happens. Yeah. Um and then sometimes I'm like, oh hang on, it's you know, it's seven o'clock and I haven't stopped writing yet. So it just really varies by day and by project. So Yeah, that's that's that that's all stuff that I typically hear about novelists in particular, and um, in that respect, I'm more of an amateur. So, um, but I as far as uh, your career progression and like the route that you went, were you a novelist first, or were you a tabletop writer first? So, I I didn't publish a novel until after I had published my first tabletop stuff, but I've been. Okay writing novels for a long time. I think I started my first novel when I was just starting college, maybe when I was like 18 or 19, it didn't get very far. Mm -hmm. Um, because novels are hard y'all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of words that go on a page. Um, and you don't always, you know, you don't understand that until you sit down and you try to write your own, but, um, I mean, I still joke about, though, when I was, like, in sixth grade and writing vampire stories in my notebooks, you know, like, I've, I've been writing for a long time, but writing for games wasn't really even a thing that, like, pinged in my brain that was a thing that people did. Like, I knew there were gaming books. I played them, you know? I'm like, somebody, when you think about it, you're like, obviously, somebody wrote this and published it and put it in a book, but right. it, it wasn't really a anything that had been on my radar until long after I had been like writing novels and stories and that sort of thing. Very cool. Um, okay. And then what was your first gig in tabletop? Actually, my first tabletop uh, job was 
doing, uh, it's a book called, oh, Beyond, oh, dang it, I'm going to mess it up. Hold on. When you've written on so much stuff that you forget your projects. <laughs> well, it's been so long. Uh, the Fairy Ring. Okay. Along the Twisting Way. Uh-huh. Um, and I was actually brought on to that by Scott Gable, who is now, he's an editor at Cobalt Press. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Met Scott. So he, yeah, so he was doing this project, The Fairy Ring, mm-hmm. and needed additional writers. And we had a mutual friend, and she knew that I was a gamer and a writer. Um, and so she su- she suggested me, um, and I didn't do any mechanics. I hadn't even played 5th edition at the time, so I was like, I know nothing about the rule system. And he right. just needed me to come on and write, like, fluff and lore and, like, you know, uh-huh. develop NPC personalities and stories and stuff like that. So I did one of the chapters for that book. Um, and then it sort of just, that was, I was like, okay, that was cool and fun. I did a thing. And then it, you know, just sort of was the only one I had done for a little while. Um, then he came back because he was working for Cobalt Press and they wanted to bring on additional writers for their uh, Warlock zine and their blog. And so he reached out to me to write for them, um, which I was like, oh, okay, I guess he liked what I wrote. <laughs> that's right, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was, um, so yeah, that's sort of where I got started was with that cool. one. Cobalt Press. Yeah, nice people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. That's why I'm drinking <laughs> tea right now because, you know, it, it is the season. One moment, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, very nice people. I had the uh, great uh, opportunity that they afforded me to run games for them, and then they uh, paid my way for Gen Con. Um, so that was a great experience for me. I'd never done anything like that at a convention, um, even though I'd been a professional GM for like half a year at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, that was super cool. And the Cobalt Press people are super cool too. So um very thankful that I had that opportunity. And it was really cool to like meet people who like write. <laughs> <laughs> so that was also part of it. Like, oh, I get mm-hmm. to talk to Wolfgang after playing uh in, in Fire of the Ghouls campaign for so long. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, anyway, um enough about me and my <laughs> <laughs> in my good experiences. Um, for you and sort of carving out like this portion of your life to be devoted to making a living as a writer, I think the landscape has changed because what you, let me let me ask first, what year was it when you first like started moving from part time to full time? Uh, this is on so last year, twenty May twenty twenty. It's 2022 right now, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't keep track. May 2021 mm-hmm. was when I made the switch. Okay. Going from just freelancing in my spare time to making making it a full time thing. So yeah. it's been a How year lo- and change at this point. Okay. How um, long had you been freelancing, like on the side, before you made it full time? A couple of years, I think. I did my the fairy ring. Was in twenty like eighteen, maybe even earlier than that. Twenty seventeen was when I did the fairy ring, um, yeah. and then it was a little bit of a gap between that and when I started for Cobalt Press. So probably twenty eighteen 
maybe 2019 when I started writing for Cobalt Press more regularly. Um, and then I started branching out to other publishing houses and groups. So a couple of years um, consistently, like three maybe. Right. And by that time, you had already been writing for five to ten years, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Gosh, yes. A lot longer than that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not trying to age you. No, you're good. It's fine. Um, Yeah, so... um, yeah, and I think that's I think that's important to understand, especially for people who are just starting out, um, especially to fully grasp it, like people that do spend years of their time before they even get their opportunity as a freelancer to have their work accepted. And um, being a creative full time really often means that this person has dedicated a good portion of their life to getting better at this thing. And trying out so many different things and failing so much. And I think that's the important part, right, is the failing. Because especially with freelancing, to be successful, I think I'm pretty successful. But even as much work as I've done, like, I don't think I could support myself on as much as I make right now. Like, I, we are lucky that my husband makes enough that I, and and that's a very, like, frank situation right that like it just does not pay enough in most cases that it's a a, something that you can support yourself on which really blows (laughs) you know right yeah we need to you know um but when you're freelancing especially you know you got to be ready to put yourself out there if somebody puts out a call for writers you got to be willing to submit stuff you got to be and and i don't even do the whole constantly scouring the internet for for jobs, right? Um, but you're going to get rejections a lot, and you're not going to get picked for for stuff. And like building up that that mentality that a no is not really a big deal. That you can't get right. a yes, but like a no is always a risk. But like you can't get a yes unless you put yourself out there. Kind of thing was. <laughs> excuse me, was um, kind of the biggest thing, I think, for me to learn. Um, Where the point now, like, if I see somebody put out a call, if it looks like a job I'm interested in, um, you know, just throw in your hat in the ring and whatever happens, happens. And if you don't get it, you're not, yeah, you're not in the worst place than you were when you started. Um, Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So it really feeds my need for constant validation, too. good it's nice yeah Yeah, i'm the same way are you also a virgo i'm an aries you're an aries okay well i'm a sagittarius moon so i'm like i'm i'm actually an aries but right on the pisces cusp like i'm Uh first day of an aries so uh yeah i got a little bit of that pisces but yes Okay. Yeah, I just started learning about astrology. My girlfriend has been uh, teaching me it, essentially, more or less, but because um, she's super into it. It's kind of fun. You it know, is. Just, it's totally yeah. real science, and everything is true. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I love it. And um, I have actually a f- group of friends, and I joke, there's like three Aries and two Aquarius. Like, we've got a little organization of, like, who is what, and a friend of mine keeps, like, a list of everybody's, you know, your sign and then your your moon and your rising and your whatever and i have to go to her every time like what am i again <laughs> yeah it's my rising am i gemini i can't remember 
Um, right. But yeah, my husband is a Virgo though. So I, I, I oh, understand okay. that. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you understand me better than, than uh, you let on. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the greatest thing is finding people that you get along with in the industry and then like just doing more work with them. And that has been mm-hmm. kind of, I guess the quote unquote dream for a lot of people is like, they want to, at least for me, and I can echo this because I see the people that kind of put out there that they're very interested in, uh, starting a studio or like just creating and like having being surrounded by like people that they really enjoy creating with, um, finding that careful balance is Mm -hmm. kind of fraught with danger, uh, I I guess in a way, but. Well, and it's always tricky because creatives, I think by our nature, we can be flaky and flighty sometimes just because we get distracted easily. Um, but when you find people that you work well with, it's it's just it it's it's a great feeling, um, and especially if you can find people that you work well with who you know are reliable, um, and you know and that's the other thing with being in this business is making sure that you're reliable and you hit your deadlines <laughs> is like one of the biggest things that you can do because it's really easy to take on a project and it's not always easy to finish it and finish it on time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's been, it's always fun when you, you join up on a project and you see people that you've worked with before and you're like, Oh, hey. <laughs> hi friends. Um, it's always especially a really good feeling when you join up on a project and you see people that you've worked really well with in the past. And it's, it, it can be very exciting. Um, when you get to collaborate with people who excite you, I guess, you know, and create creatively. So, yeah. Yeah. I find um, it's, it doesn't necessarily like have to, I don't know. I feel like personally um, a lot of the, and this is mostly, and I will preface this with like, I've net, I have not been in the industry. I have not, I'm not an industry insider. So if you're listening to this podcast thinking that I have like booked a bunch of writing gigs, I will tell you officially I've only booked one writing gig. (laughs) So (laughs) I have like had the one experience and then um, everything else has just kind of fallen together in the project that I'm leading. So Mm. when I see a lot of the headache and then um, heartache with uh, writers and artists who are involved in projects, that aren't run by um, a big game studio who has kind of polished their process quite a bit Mm -hmm. more. The main headaches that I see are professionalism, timeliness, pay, like these like very basic things that like are important to the writer or important Mm -hmm. to the artist. And if you can, if you're running a project, handle those things, then you really have set yourself up for success in a lot of ways because otherwise it's difficult for a freelancer like you to justify them going the extra mile for you, in my opinion. And I definitely think, so there's always things that you consider when you're trying to figure out if you want to take on a project, right? And everybody has different metrics about what they look for in a job. But for me, it's things like, 
you know, pay, obviously, what's this paying? Because if it's paying three cents a word, I better be really passionate about it to spend my time on it, right? Especially if, since I'm full, I'm not a hobby lancer, right? I'm full-time freelancing. I'm trying to make a living yeah. off of this. So <clears throat> I would only go for something that pays low if if I am excited about the project, like it's with a company that I really want to try to make headway with, or, you know, the people on the project are also really awesome. But usually if the people on the project are awesome, the pay is usually better because they understand the industry. Now I understand that, I mean, this industry is hard. Like it's not easy to make money as a tabletop freelancer or as a publisher. And I understand that like budgets are budgets and you have to try to work with your, within your constraints. Like I completely understand that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> but you know, if you can, usually if you can show that you pay well or have a really awesome concept, the good writers will follow and good writers will follow other good writers. Um, especially if you can make, if your first project um, is, even if it doesn't pay super well, if your first project is well organized and you communicate well and you're just a good you know, person to work with, the writers who work with that on that project will talk to the other. We talk to each other. <laughs> we know what's going you? on. Oh, we no. We do. We do. Every, everyone <laughs> knows about me then. <laughs> we do talk to each other. Um, and so, you know... They'll say, I had this really great experience. Or, you know, if, if somebody else gets approached to work on the project, they'll, you know, you ask for references. Did you, how was your experience? You know, it was great. Or, and eh, it never really great together, but the pay was really good. So it kind of made up for it. So it's all right, sort yeah. of a balancing act. Um, but it definitely is. So I, I definitely had an interesting with, with Draco being in the position that I'm in. Um, when we were doing the adventure book, you know, it was the first time I was, I was coordinating a group of freelancers. Um, dope, dope. So it was awesome. How did that feel? It How was that very, feel? it was really good. And thankfully, you know, it's, they were authors that I'd all worked with before. So, you know, we kind of had a good communication and I hope they, they didn't hate me by the time we were done. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a challenge, you know, for me and Brian both coming on and being like, oh, we've never actually led a team before and kind of seeing the holes in our preparation. Um, and also with the fact that, you know, there was so much on the Draco side, on our side, on the Draco side too, about the lore and everything else that wasn't necessarily nailed down. It presented a whole bunch of challenges. Um, but the team, I mean, they did a great job uh, despite any stumbling blocks that we may have had, but it was definitely eye opening from a being on the other side of you know, normally I just show up, they give me my assignment, I go home, I write it, you know, and I turn it in when I'm done. Yeah. Um, versus being on the, the, you know, organizational lead side of it, where I'm like, oh, no, I have to actually make sure all of these things fit together, and everybody has what they need. So um, I mean, it was it's an amazing experience. I can't wait to I'll, I'll be doing more probably. Um, but yeah, it was it was great, but definitely an eye opening <laughs> experience, for sure. Yeah. So I had that, and one of the reasons why, besides my immense just, uh, besides my audacity, I have a lot of audacity, but <laughs> um, besides my uh, immense just respect for uh, M and uh, Mich Michaela Abel and the co-lead on The Vineyard and 
my good fortune that uh, we had connected over some previous business, and then we worked on One Night Straw together a little bit. I was the marketer for that. Um, they were the editor. And just connecting and like making the vineyard like a thing, I realized very quickly after interacting with M, this is someone who knows how to professionally organize things. And that was one of the major things that I knew understand. Like M is pivotal to the success of this project <laughs> because of how organized they are. And then the more I get to know M, it's like, oh, it's because you have interacted with Chris Perkins for <laughs> the past two years or whatever on a project. And that's where you've kind of been mentored mm -hmm. in that way, despite them being pretty young. Uh, they're at least 10 years younger than me. And I mean, I'm new to the industry, but like, you don't think of like a 24, 25 year old mm -hmm. or however old M is, um, not to out you M, <laughs> but um, <laughs> of, of being like someone that can be so capable at such a young age. I mean, of course I saw that like in the military and something like, but that's kind of like a need to have thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it was, it was really cool too. And it's been great to work with M for that reason, because they are so organized and professional and just impress me every single step of the way. So finding those uh, leaders for a project is super important. And for Absolutely. the same reason that I really wanted to work with Elaine Ho as the art director uh, for the same reason. So, and I've been really pleased and happy with everything thus far. So, yeah, it definitely takes a certain skill. Uh, that I think I'm pretty good at, but I'm definitely, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a learned skill too, right? Like you don't always realize what you don't know until you're confronted with the fact that you missed something. Um, so yeah, the people that are naturally organized just blow my mind because it's a lot of work for me. <laughs> no, that's, that's not me. Like I have this, or I have this scheduling book because otherwise I would not be organized at all. Yeah. So I write and down I'm, all my points and stuff. And I've always been the kind of person where if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Right. Oh, like yeah. it just, and you know, I, I try explaining this to my very much more capable, like successful younger sister who does not have that problem where I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like if it is not, in front of me, it does not exist. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just so I have a whiteboard where I have like all of my things with all of my deadlines and everything else because I have to be able to just at like literally lean over and go, okay, what am I, what do I got coming up? All right, okay. Because otherwise, it like I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like I almost completely forgot about this. Uh, <laughs> this recording session you're not, today. You're, you're not hurting my feelings. That's why we send <laughs> updates and yeah. And I had a notification on my phone. It like rang at me. I'm like, what even is? Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, that's in <laughs> half an hour. I should get ready for that. Um, so yes, it's it's definitely been something that I'm aware of in myself <laughs> and I have established uh, coping mechanisms to deal with it. But people who don't have that, I'm just always in awe of their capabilities it's like it's like magic to me so yeah it's it's definitely i believe a more of a skill than an innate talent i think some people can be talented in that but it's definitely a skill that has to be developed mm -hmm. and sort of tempered over time and like challenges and working with enough people and like getting that experience so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah it, what's What's a project that you have been thinking about that you have wanted to work on in the future? Oh, gosh. So I actually, hmm, 
do I talk about it? Are you allowed to? If, if you're allowed to, then yeah, <laughs> sure. Of course. No, I mean, are you talking about like a... Mm, hmm, 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 hmm. So personal project that I've been thinking about doing, and I'm a little bit... Well, okay, so um, there is a an artist uh, sculptor, a mini sculptor on Kickstarter that does um, medieval marginalia miniatures, and I purchased a bunch of he just did his second kickstarter and i think he did uh -huh. it for like a week and um they were really awesome these little minis in fact yeah i just almost thought that this was video it's not video um but anyway there's little like those little margin these little metal miniatures uh based off of uh the weird little creatures you find in old medieval manuscripts right that okay are yeah, like, yeah like the lions that don't quite look like lions or like the weird snails with like hats and right. things like that um, and I just backed it because I thought that it was a really cool, just visual concept to put that into miniature form. Um, then I was like, oh, I should make those into actual like 5E monsters. <laughs> and so I may try to actually write that up and put it up on uh, DM's Guild at some point. Though in his most recent Kickstarter, somebody else did that, did it already for Morkborg. Like they, they undercut oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. They got in oh. ahead of me. I was so mad. Like I was literally getting up that morning. I was like, I'm going to start laying out this project and do my own little personal like medieval miniatures. And maybe I'll contact, you know, the guy running the Kickstarter to be like, hey, we should do a thing. And then he emailed all the backers to be like, and here's a Morkborg like thing for these miniatures that somebody's, I was like, well, that took the wind out of my sails on that one, but um, right. But there's not a five E one yet, so maybe I'll do that. And anybody listening, you can't take it. It's my idea. I'm doing it first. You got to do it before next week when the podcast drops. I'll, I'll real fast. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, I was. I've been like since uh, getting a little bit of ex exposed to uh, Mork Borg and, uh, in my case, Pirate Borg that I ran uh, with a an event that Star Playing Games did. Um, Phenomenal products, uh, very interesting in their own right, and just mm -hmm. sort of, it's one of those products and that um, that creator puts out that they understand what it is, and that is so <laughs> rare to find in creative works. It's like you can, it's it's got great taglines. It you know it's it's an advertiser's dream. Mm -hmm. I look at it, and that's why I love it is because it's like so well defined what it is it, even the art is mm -hmm. done in such a way and it's picked with that holistic creative vision that if you haven't seen Morkborg and you haven't seen Pyroborg or like they have Cyborg coming out and all these all these other iterations they are not only really fun to play they're very easy to play and they are yeah I can't recommend them enough they're super fun <laughs> but yeah for sure I mean that that would be super cool um and I think finding like those little passion projects is a large part of like what fuels us as creatives is like, mm -hmm. what am I doing and why should I do it? Am I going to get fulfillment out of this? And I was thinking that before I started Vineyard or I started like doing professional GMing and stuff like that, it was really more about, can I make enough money doing mm -hmm. this first? And then what is the way to make enough money so that I can continue to do this thing? Um, and then after that, it's, you know, you can discuss like scaling and stuff like that if things are going well. But first, the thing is like, 
can I do what I absolutely love and make enough money rather than doing something I don't love as much mm-hmm. for more money? Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely right. Cause life's short <laughs> money is very helpful and, uh, and I'm not going to like disparage anybody who takes the, the less fulfilling job because it makes a whole ton of money because money powers a lot of things. And when you can do fulfilling things outside of work, then that's great. But, um, yeah, I definitely re I, I did not expect to love game writing as much as I do. And I really think part of that is because I get to share it with so many other people, right? Like there's something really cool about um, hearing other people talk about having played through my adventures or using a subclass that I made. um, That's just like, oh, you know, it's like watching other people watch a movie that you really love, right? Where you're like waiting for them to like, okay, did you love it? Or did you hate, like, what did you think? Let's talk about (laughs) it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And short plug, if you want to talk to Sarah about the siren preview that they wrote for the vineyard, I will include the discord chat for just all of the playtesting that we're doing for the vineyard. And if you want Sarah to know that you hated it, um, (laughs) as long as you do it respectfully. Yes. And don't get banned that way. Then you're more (laughs) than likely to. You're, you're more than welcome to. And, you know, of course the, the vineyard, um, uh pdf will be linked do you want to talk about that at all nah no <laughs> no we can <laughs> hated that project sure. oh, God, you know oh, the other vineyard thing kind of sucks no no absolutely um i mean i had a lot of fun writing it i hope everybody out there has a lot of fun reading it and using her in their games because mm-hmm. yeah um and I think that was one of the things that got me sort of on board the Vineyard Project, I think, was when we talked to Gen Con and you were like, oh, I have this idea for this, like, character and sort of this, you know, evil, tragic Dorian Gray sort of concept. And I really, yeah, it just, yeah. It spoke to you. It did. It did. <laughs> yeah, it spoke to you. Um, yeah, I for sure, uh, after, I remember... Um, running into you uh because we were both like connected through cobalt press Mm -hmm. and um you know seeing the d20 tattoo is like oh that's a nerd right there (laughs) that nerd um but uh yeah so we were we were talking and um i knew based on your writing which i'd read a small piece of through candle keep um your adventure writing and just this woman writes really creepy shit so (laughs) Which is I am... weird. I didn't think that would be me, but apparently it's me. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I think that's what I have the most fun writing is the weird, creepy horror stuff. And maybe that's because I really enjoy playing that. Like, I love Curse of Strahd. Um, mm-hmm. I love playing like Call of Cthulhu um, and things like that, even though I don't like I don't like watching horror. Um, yeah. I'm a big wimp. I'm actually a yeah. huge wimp, so I don't watch don't watch horror movies because I learned that like I'll just spend the next two weeks not being able to sleep. Um, right. I don't really play horror games usually for the same reason. Um, 
I used to read a lot more horror novels. Like when I was in middle school and like high school, I used to read a lot of like R.L. Stein, like Fear Street stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. And like, I loved Dean Koontz, even though he's ridiculous and all of his stories are ridiculous, but I loved his stuff. So, um, yeah. but so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like when I wrote A Deep and Creeping Darkness for Candlekeep, it just, just was this thing. It just, we have to talk it, about it that. Manifested. Tell me about this. <laughs> Tell me about what can you tell me that's not under NDA? Let's let's go. Let's do it. Um. Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we were given pretty pretty open briefs as far as like what we were asked to write. They basically were like, we need a mystery, and it needs to be connected to a book found in Candlekeep. Um, and the name of the book is the name of the adventure. Okay, go. Um, and there was like a pitch process where, you know, they, we pitched our adventure concept and then they would approve it and then we wrote it. Um, and, but we didn't have, there wasn't because of the nature of Candlekeep, I think, because it was an anthology rather than a, a larger adventure, there wasn't any communication between me and the other writers. Um, in fact, none of us knew who the other writers were until they basically announced all of us. Uh, so then it was a whole big scramble of, oh, yay, that's you. Like, let's connect on, you know, Twitter and social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, but it was, I mean, it was overall a really good experience for me. Um, it's its definitely interesting. Part of being a freelancer is you're a writer for hire. So at the end of the day, you don't own any of your stuff anymore, right? And so when you turn over a project it may not always emerge in published form in the way that you turned it over. Um, Sometimes it's just small edits or tweaks. Sometimes, you know, after it's, if it's an adventure and it's been through playtesting a whole bunch of times and it's, there's certain parts of the adventure that keep, you know, becoming a stumbling block for players. They have to re rework whole parts of the adventure or especially with wizards of the coast. Um, they're very particular about like their lore and everything else. And so it's like making sure it fits in with their IP and what they want to present. Um, it's, it's an interesting experience of, of building up thicker skin. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the background. Just, just a little bit, just a little woof. <laughs> just a little, little bork. Um, that, you know, not being too precious with your stuff, I think is really important. Um, when it comes to freelancing along with, you know, building up that ability to, to put yourself out there that also like when you finally see your stuff in print, it may not be entirely in the way that you turned it over. And that's not necessarily a reflection on you as a writer that they have a lot of things to balance. And I'm seeing that too now from like my, my side of the Draco work that I, had all these these freelance writers come on to do this adventure and I'm putting all their stuff together and I have to make sure it fits and all the little bits fit together and you know and so there's inevitably going to be revisions and edits and changes I'm going to have to make and it's not because they didn't do an amazing job it's just because oh this this doesn't quite fit with this thing that happens over here or you know oh this element of the lore is a little bit different um so it's definitely a um you have to you have to learn to be okay with it. I think so. I think I got yeah. way off track. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, I I'm gonna ask like, obviously, if you can't talk about it, just you know that we don't have to. Um, but I was just curious, like, 
how many drafts and like uh, how many times did you pitch before one got accepted and things like that. Like when you were already in the process of like, hey, we're going to work with you and we'd like to see your pitches and everything like that. Because I know that sometimes that can be the longest process is the pitching and then. Yeah, so I had a pitch for for me personally. I pitched a deep and creeping darkness, but it was a little bit different when I originally pitched it. Excuse me. And um so they came back with, you know, like this is this isn't quite working the way it is. Can we maybe change these few things? And I was like, "Okay, I you know, I, I revised my pitch, but then I also panicked and pitched a whole second option <laughs> which i probably didn't I'm like if you really hate that one here's another one that we could do and they were like no no it's okay we can do the first one um so i think i got a little like i undermined myself you know on that one mm-hmm. um and then there was um, it's been it's been a while at this point i'm trying to remember the exact process it was like a pitch and then we had a first draft and then they sent back feedback and we had to revise our first draft to a second draft. And I think that was the entirety of it. Um, yeah, I think that was the process itself. Um, yeah. Sorry, I lost the, I lost the, <laughs> I lost the, no, you're line. good. <laughs> My you're dog good. came over and started like bobbing. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's what dogs do. Yeah, um, <laughs> especially him. He's he's frustrating. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. He's such a sweet uh, here's boy. you talking to somebody. Yeah. Yes. He's like, like oh, oh, you're on a you're recording. I have to come over here and stick my nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And what do you see yourself doing in the next couple of years with your career, do you think, that you're allowed to talk about? Well, um this. <laughs> uh I will probably be Theoretically, I have to, I owe more novels to my publisher, so I should probably do that um, <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, I keep getting distracted by game writing, to be honest, because it's shorter mm-hmm. and, and more immediate gratification. Yeah. Um, I would definitely love to take on some bigger projects like what I'm doing with Draco. Like, um, like I did a, a, a bigger project with Ghostfire Gaming. I worked on their Fables a subscription adventure thing where I did one of the chapters for <clears throat> the Citadel of the Unseen Sun, which came out earlier this year, I think. Is that Monty Cook? Um, uh, Ghostfire Games. Ghostfire? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah. And that was a pretty sizable project. I think it was like a 40,000 word project, which was the biggest I had done at the time. Um, okay. But I would really love to be able to be involved in like a a bigger adventure book, like instead of just writing, you know, one shot for an anthology to be able to like develop and be one of the main writers for like a, a full adventure, you know, like a curse of Strahd or something like that. So, right. Yeah. Great. Great. That's wonderful. Um, <laughs> we'll talk after we get off the podcast. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't defined that part of our relationship yet, but that's coming. Um, yeah. And I don't want to, proposition you while you're on the podcast (laughs) no pressure no pressure yeah that would be rude (laughs) um okay so um yeah i think we are open now if you have anything that you wanted to talk about um besides your kickstarter oh gosh um 
which we've included in the show notes. Okay. If you want to go yeah. check it out. Um, it's there. It's got a lot of really cool stuff. It's not just the book. It's like dice and handouts and care sheet and it's it there's a lot. Like Draco does amazing. They don't they don't do things by halves. Like they go all in. It's pretty good. Um gosh, uh, let's see. I think the project So I've got a project over on Cobalt Press actually. It's on their blog called Haunted Items. And it's a, a series of of trinkets, basically. The first one was a like a walking cane, and the second one was a like a collar, like a dog collar, um, that are possessed by the spirit of normally like the former owner. And there's a whole like it's like a story blurb about it, and then basically each item um, has like tiers of powers or things that you can unlock or like little quests that you have to do to like appease or help the spirit that's attached to the item. Um, and I had a really fun time doing that. Um, it's ongoing. I think there's two out right now and there's a couple more coming. Um, and I, I think they're really cool and I think they are like pretty rich for like story and quest hooks and things like that for DMS. So if y'all want to check that out, it's pretty cool on the cold mold press blog. And I'll make sure so, we have a link for that too. <laughs> yes. So. Yes, we will add that. Um, okay. Super cool. And of course, anything else? Or are you good with that? Um, I'm good. I guess you can find me on Twitter at mm -hmm. Unfettered Muse. And I have a website. Um, and yeah, any Vineyard fans, I will try to be in the Discord. I never. <laughs> I'm definitely not quite sure still like I'm balancing the whole at what point should creators get involved in the conversation for versus like right. am I stifling conversation by being like no this is the way it goes versus right. like being part of the like back and forth so I'm still learning I'm trying y'all so I you know I fully understand that because I as a pro GM like a lot of the time what I came to was like you don't want to tell someone giving you feedback that like, no, this is the way that it works because then it's an argument. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you, you want to just, the, the most of what I ask is really just like sort of leading questions or like exploratory questions, I should say, in which I'm asking to get more information because if I have that relationship with someone at the table, that becomes confrontational and like not welcome. Yeah. And I want people to feel like they can give me their honest feedback. Right. So my default response is normally, thank you for the feedback. Right. Because, yeah, like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. because it's very difficult to like, you don't, I, yeah, I don't want people to in this position, especially for playtesting, um, put them in the position to be like, you're, they're not wrong. They can have an opinion about it. And oh, we yeah. want to hear those opinions, especially like those who have run the siren um, mm -hmm. or this future release that we're going to have as well around Valentine's Day. Um, Yay. Yeah. So um, thank you so much to everyone uh, who listened. And you can check out those links in the description and check out Sarah because she's a great writer. Thanks. <laughs> All right. And scene. I will push the button here.